Chapter 18 Finn opened her eyes in the warm rocking of a lantern's light. She lay upon a soft bed of down. Her back was well-bandaged and sore. Around her, a table and chairs, shelves, cabinets, and other accoutrements all vaguely familiar. The table dominated the center of the room, and it was laid up with maps, a compass, and a sextant. She was in the captain's cabin. It was Creech's lair, but somehow the air whispered safety, not savagery. She looked around, confirmed she was alone. Her last memories were of the fall of the lash, of pain, blood, and something more. Jack. She sat up and winced as the bandages across her back tightened and prickled at her wounds. Sounds drifted through the walls, the gentle creaking of the ship, the soft splash of the sea, laughter from on deck, and the reassuring bark of Jack cursing and calling down orders in the wind. There was a new white shirt laid on the table, along with breeches and her old leather vest and boots. She eased herself out of the bed and dressed. Pain rippled across her back, but she grimaced and walked outside. The main deck was basked in the dying light of evening. Away to the west, a wavering sun slunk into the sea, spreading long, fading shadows of timber and tackle upon the salt-crusted ship. No one took notice of her. She leaned wearily in the crook of an open door and felt her spirits lift. Creech was gone. She could sense it, as if the air were suddenly cleared of a stench long smelled. She breathed in the clear air and smiled. The wind was light and the rattlesnake, in no hurry to tack a quicker course, drifted south on whatever wind the weather offered it. Jack's broad shoulders turned her way, and seeing her, he approached. You ought to be lying down, he said. I'm all right, replied Finn, and I'm glad you're back. Jack didn't appear to share the opinion. He wrinkled his brow at her, then took her by the arm and led her back into the cabin. How long have I? Two days, answered Jack, and we got to talk. He carefully guided her to a chair and settled her into it, then seated himself opposite and considered her in silence. What's wrong? Other than mutiny? He raised a bushy eyebrow and leaned forward. I'd say there's a right lot of wrong around the snake these days, and not the least of it is you. If you aim to keep a berth aboard this ship, then I need to know what other secrets you're stowing away, besides them underneath them clothes. Finn blushed as the memory came back to her. I didn't mean to cause any trouble. Jack frowned at her and scratched his beard. Well, Finn, your real name? he asked. Finn balked. Well, of course it is. He reached into his shirt pocket and produced the gazette with her picture on the front. This you, then? Finn nodded. Jack raised his eyebrows. Well, I reckon that's all right, he said as he folded the paper up and placed it on the table. There's to be a meeting and we aim to decide what's to become of you and the snake. We was waiting on you and Tan to come around first. Some of the boys are out of sorts over your little secrets. If I was you, I'd come ready to hear some moaning and belly aching. Was Tan all right? asked Finn. He knocked his noggin good, but he'll mend. You watch yourself till we find out where everyone stands, though, you understand? But what happened to the captain? asked Finn. Jack regarded her in silence before answering. I ain't a murderer, Button. A lot of the boys wanted to see him dead, him and them what kept to him. But I ain't one for mutiny if it can be helped. And the same goes for killing folks, especially captains. Finn had hoped to breathe a sigh of relief at news of Creech's death, and robbed of it, her face wrinkled in disapproval. She felt she ought to know better than to wish a man dead, but she couldn't convince herself that he deserved anything less. We set him and the rest adrift. Bill Stom, Hatch Calloway, a few others. Like as not, the storm caught him. 
made a murderer of me all the same. Jack shook his head and scowled. He despised the disorder of it, and it wore on him. Beneath his beard, his face looked like a rock that had been beaten against and bore new cracks yet to be weathered smooth by time. Anyhow, we're rid of him now and better off. We're damned short-handed, though, so get your rest. We need every arm on the tackle to keep her running, till we can make port in Charleston. Finn nodded. Jack reached into his belt and pulled out Betsy. Hank, this belongs to you. He laid it on the table in front of her. Finn reached out and picked it up, caressed its elegant curves. She let herself give in to its seductive beauty and was glad to hold it again. Then a tinge of the pistol's darkness crept into her, and she shuddered. Jack stood up to leave, but Finn called out to him. Jack! He turned around and raised his woolly eyebrows at her. Thank you. Jack grunted and walked out the door. Finn thought she saw a hint of a smile under his beard. Creech was gone, and Finn hoped the storm had swallowed him whole. With the weight of the captain off her shoulders, the worries of him terrorizing her home slid off as well, and she felt almost carefree. Jack said they were headed for Charleston, and Finn determined to write Peter while they were there, so he'd not worry after her. She placed Betsy in her belt and walked out onto the deck. It was darkening toward night, and the sails were set on a starboard tack and light wind. She hopped off the quarterdeck and climbed down the ladder into the berthing area. The creaking of hammocks greeted her. Everyone that wasn't on deck running the ship was sleeping. As she walked in silence to her corner of the room, her eyes picked out the crumpled form of the fiddle case lying against the bulkhead. With a frown, she pulled it to her and opened it. The lid was crushed and splintered down the right side. One hinge had broken off, and the top swiveled treacherously on the other. Thankfully, the fiddle looked unharmed. She picked it up and carefully turned it over in her hands, inspecting it from scroll to tail, then, satisfied, placed it back in its bed. She pulled Betsy from her belt and laid it down alongside the fiddle. Part of her had hoped the gun was lost with Creech, but as she had many times before, she hushed that part away and was thankful she hadn't lost it after all. As she reached to close the ruptured lid, she noticed that down the right side of the box, the velvet lining had torn away. A strange thing caught her eye. What lay beneath the torn lining wasn't wood. It was something quite different. She squinted in the dim light of the lantern and wondered what it was behind the tear. She took hold of a hanging piece of lining and tugged it gently away to get a better look. The velvet tore easily down the length of the box and exposed an old parchment sealed between the liner and lid. Near the edge, letters were inscribed upon it. Bartimaeus Gan. Finn's heart quickened. She tore away the rest of the liner and the parchment fell into her hand. She turned it over and gaped in wonder. It was a crude map. There were boxes drawn on it, buildings perhaps, and a river, roads, but no writing to label them. At the top was written only Bartimaeus's name and the words, Stand in here I laid me down, me spoils me heathen crowns, to sleep in sacred earth redeemed beneath the tower without a sound. Finn couldn't make anything of it. She turned the paper this way and that, trying to find sense in the shapes and lines. When she turned it upside down, the forms drawn on it snapped into place in her mind. It was the orphanage, the dining hall, the chapel, the orphan house, the road into town, the Savannah River. She knew all of it. But what did it mean? She studied the map closer and found a small circle drawn in the foyer of what would be the chapel. A mark, maybe. Before she had time to consider it, she heard someone approaching and quickly folded it and placed it back into the case. What are you looking at, Finn? asked Nut from behind her. Oh, nothing, just about to lay down is all, she lied. 
Finn stood up. You did it, Nut. You saved Jack, and me too. Nut blushed red as a beat and kicked at the floor. She pulled him into a soft hug. Thank you. Nut hesitantly returned the embrace, and Finn let out a yelp. Ow! She'd forgotten her back was still in shreds. Nut muttered embarrassed apologies. Finn kindly shushed him and bid him good night. In the morning, as the scant crew went about the daily chores of the ship, they solemnly considered the events of days past and their consequences. Finn refused to allow her injuries to hold her back from doing her part, and now that the crew all knew she was a woman, she intended to let no one give witness of her doing less work than any man aboard. If anyone wished to take issue with having her aboard, she ensured it wasn't because she lacked the ability or gumption to get the ship's work done. She and Nut climbed aloft to check the lines and sail, mending them as necessary, then swabbed the hold and took a shift at the pumps. Finn felt as if she was naked under the eyes of the crew. Some looked at her with narrowed eyes as she passed, and few spoke to her or replied when she greeted them. Art Thomason, who was normally cordial, frowned and walked away in reply to her cheerful good morning. Not all the crew was suspicious, however. Nut seemed to find no reason to act as if anything had changed, and indeed, as far as Finn was concerned, nothing had. When she waved at Topper from the quarterdeck, he smiled heartily and greeted her with more cheer than she'd seen him give out in a long time. Jack didn't seem to have decided just what he thought of her yet, but she suspected that the uncertainty itself was proof that he'd come around in time. When Tan came at last stepping up onto the deck, Finn feared to discover whether or not he'd be cross with her. She avoided his eyes and turned her back to him, not wanting to see the same look on his face as Art had given her. Can't say as I ever had a lady save my hide before, said Tan from behind her. Finn was relieved to hear the levity in his voice. Well, it's Nut did the saving, not me, she said. Behind her, Nut blushed like a timid schoolboy. Tan grinned. My thanks, Tommy. Nut shook his head without lifting his eyes and muttered, it was Finn's idea, Tan, but I dropped the key. You did good, mate. I'm indebted to you both. But next time, see if you can hurry it up a little. Storm nearly ended me. Tan laughed. <laughs> and Finn, you didn't really think you were fooling anyone, what with the pretty face and all. Well, you knew? Well, I knew there was some reason I liked you, and God knows I like a lady better than most fellas, Tan said with a chuckle. <laughs> well, except for old Nut here, he slapped Nut on the back. Tan seemed his old self, and Finn was glad of it. When she'd seen him last, chained to the mast and bleeding from the head, she was afraid he'd die, or have his wits knocked out like Nut. All he had to show for his bloody wound, however, was a small gash on his forehead that had been stitched up neatly. At Tan's behest, she related the fight with Bill and the confrontation with Creech, and answered his questions about it all as best she could. She didn't let on about the map, though. Creech was eliminated. No one was looking for the gold now. No one needed to know. With the ship running in good order despite the shortage of hands, Finn, Nut, and Tan spent the rest of the morning laughing and enjoying the clean air, until just before noon Jack sounded his whistle and called all hands to the quarterdeck. Everyone bustled out of the hatches and holds and away from whatever they'd been working at and gathered close around. Once all were present and quiet, Jack cleared his throat. <clears throat> Morning, boys, he bellowed, and a round of greetings muttered back at him. Reckon we got us a ship, laughter and cheers went up. Well, now we gotta figure what to make of her, heads nodded all around. Here's the way I see it. The bloody British got a bounty laid up for our heads. And if word gets out about what happened to the captain, we're like as not to get a bounty laid up by the courts in the colonies to boot. And if that happens, if word gets round of mutiny, 
That means but one bleeding thing. We'll be branded pirates, one and all. He paused so it could sink in. Creech had made privateers of them, but that was all legal, to the colonies and to the Congress anyway. Out-and-out -out piracy was another animal altogether, and it usually ended with a sailor swinging on the gallows howl. A dark silence hung over the assembly as the men weighed it. Now, I ain't one to mutiny lesson it's got to be, and likewise, I ain't one for pirating. So here's my thoughts. Right now, we're still privateersmen. No one can say otherwise. Captain rarely poked his head out of his cabin, and we can go right on letting folks think he's in there yet. We keep right on. We trade sugar, silk, and whatever else in what ports the English ain't infested, and in the other time, we can lend a hand to the war and see we don't get caught at the wrong end of the winning. But mind you, boys, we be pirates as sure as Blackbeard himself, so far as British eyes can see. So I hold no man to the work what ain't willing to give his neck pull in a noose. Finn considered it along with the rest. To her, it seemed the same as things had been since the captain first claimed his letter of mark in Philadelphia, trading where it was convenient, and lightening the loads of British merchants whenever they could to fill out their own hold. The difference would be in not having to worry after the captain's madness, which made the entire affair seem quite a lot more appealing. Jack pulled a scroll of parchment from his coat and rolled it out on the deck. He barked at Nut to fetch him a quill and ink from the cabin, and Nut returned with it quickly. Jack took the quill, scribed a circle in the center of the parchment, and wrote inside of it. When he finished, he moved the quill outside the circle, turned the parchment at an odd angle, and signed his name along the outside curve. He stood and cleared his throat. I never thought I'd find myself signing one of these damn things, much less writing it, but here I am. No man that don't sign will be thought less for the lack, and we'll bid you farewell in Charleston if that's your mind. Jack backed away, leaving the quill, ink, and parchment lying on the deck in the center of the assembly. Finn gave Tan a confounded look. What is it? she asked. A round robin, was his answer. Our intent is written the center and every man that'll abide it signs round about. That way, if anyone finds the vow that ought not, no one can say who signed first, nor who was the leader. All take equal share in its record of mutiny. But why sign at all? asked Finn, still unclear. Well, to hold men to their word. No one that signs can be held innocent if the mutiny ever comes to light, and no man will point his finger to blame another while his mark is scrawled round with the rest. Before Finn could inquire any further, Tan stepped forward, knelt down, and signed his name along the curve of the circle. Before he'd finished, Topper had knelt beside him, followed by Sam Ketcher. Soon all hands on deck were huddled around the parchment, waiting for a chance to seal their name to the ship. Finn was more than willing to do so as well, and she moved forward to join the huddle, but Jack called for her to hold. Listen up, boys. We got another matter to settle. The huddle turned its eyes back to Jack. You all know, of course, that... Button here has been keeping secrets under her shirt. Jack chuckled at Finn and the crew roared in laughter. Finn tried not to blush. Now I know some got problems with a woman on board. I hear you grumbling, and we got to make an end of it right here. If the crew agree on the one hand, well, that she'll be put ashore in Charleston and not trouble us again. Or if the crew agree on the other hand, she can stay aboard and continue the fine job of sailor and she's been at since the day she come aboard. Bad luck having a lady on board, Jack, shouted Art. Murmurs of assent rose here and there. Aye, I heard that foolishness. But that bad luck is the only reason we're rid of Creech, 
and it's the reason I'm here alive instead of filling the belly of a shark. Tan will say the same, I'd rager, and Nut, too. Nut started at the mention of his name and looked around to see whether or not he might be in trouble. Tan stepped forward and turned to the crew. Finn's as good a sailor as I ever saw, and a far sight better than most. If she goes, I go, too. Topper here heared his support, and a volley of other cheers backed him up. Finn stood next to Jack, her eyes down. She didn't want to look up and see who wasn't in her favor. Well, as you can see, I think most are agreeable to having her stay, so question is, can those that ain't abide it or nay? If it's bad luck you're whining about, then I say she's a far sight better than the luck Creech brought. So what of it, Art? Finn looked up and discovered Art staring back at her in fierce consideration. Then it seemed a wave washed the disapproval off his face and his lips turned up. I reckon there's no further harm. He looked around at the others who had been wary of her and nodded at them reassuringly. All right, then. Make your mark, Finn, urged Jack as he motioned to the round robin. Finn bent down, and with a surge of pride that she'd been found out and found worthy, she signed her name with confidence. Last order of business, then, continued Jack without waiting for Finn to finish. We need to elect a captain, but before you even start, don't even think for one minute it'll be me. Booze erupted at Jack's refusal. I don't aim to filthy myself by wearing the title. I was born tar, I'll die tar. So who else? Tan stepped forward to speak. Who says we need a captain, Jack? I don't think no man aboard is anxious to fill them shoes just now. I say we keep on like we've been. Besides, we never needed old Tiberius. You're still first mate. You run the ship, we'll run it for you. The crew found this idea a good one and let it be known. Well, we gotta have someone making decisions. Where to trade, what to trade, them things don't figure themselves, protested Jack. We'll do it democratic, then. Put the matter to the whole crew. We all sign the robin in kind, and we'll all run the ship the same. Most of the crew enjoyed the idea and stamped and hollered their opinions. Jack raised his hands and hushed them all back down like a conductor. All right, all right. Can't say as I got a good feeling about it. But I can go along since the rest seem willing. A loud cheer of whoops and hurrahs went up, and the matter was settled. I say that since we ain't going to put up a captain, we put Button up in the cabin for decency and what all. Anybody got a problem with that? A solid wave of head shaking rolled over the assemblage, and Jack looked satisfied. Finn felt relief and was thankful. Well, the cabin's yours, Button, Jack nodded to Finn. Our first stop is Charleston, I figure. We need food and water and some good dry ground to wet with a bottle. Anyone got a say in the matter? He looked around at the crew, and the crew looked around at each other. No one spoke out. All in favor of putting into Charleston provisions and play, say aye. Aye, they sang. Then let's turn to and make it happen. Tan, you see to the navigation. The rest of you dogs, get to work. The ship jumped to life as the small gathering split to the four corners of the ship like ripples from a stone. Jack wasted no time pondering anything but the eloquence of the next curse to hurl and set to reminding the crew that he was back, he was in charge, and he didn't keen to sloth on his ship.